evening, everybody. Um, I had the wrong song again. Me and my music, I, I can't keep track of which one is really long and which one is really short. And that one is like two minutes long. I hope you guys can hear me. Um, and that, that didn't fade out too abruptly for you. Um, <clears throat> Julie made a research channel in the in the podcast server just for those of you guys who wanted to drop off some pictures to us to look at later. But please don't post anything pornographic in the actual podcast chat while I'm on the radio on the podcast because it's very distracting. But in that vein, I was peeling an orange, as one does, and I split it open, as one does, and I looked at it and I thought, well, that looks like a so my orange has this kind of baby orange growing, you know, you know, you know how oranges split. Anyway, it looks like vulva. Um, <laughs> so my orange is kind of pornographic. That's how the night's going to roll. Anyways, uh, my favorite ink pen ran out of ink and I'm devastated over here. It's my last one. How I got down to one favorite ink pen is, beyond me but i have a second favorite but um i i kind of i kind of flip back and forth between two favorite pens one is a ballpoint and one is a liquid ink and sometimes you just got you're just in the mood for liquid ink you know um so my liquid ink pen is a bic it's a bic 537r i love it it is my favorite liquid ink um and then my Ballpoint is a zebra grip flight. Love it. Um, point seven, and it's five three seven R. It's my favorite. It's got a really, um, it glides really well. It's got a really nice inkwell. Um, it's very comfortable in the hand. It's just one of my favorite pens, and um, it's out of ink and. I'm really upset. Anyways, I got my cover. So for those of you who are, um, yes, that isn't it beautiful? It is beautiful. They have some on Amazon. I will get some on Amazon. But, um, oh, I got my cover for the Merman. If you're on MeWe or on Facebook, I have shared it on my wall so you can check it out. Um, it'll be on my site, uh, later but right now I, I just put it up on um on and it's not on twitter but i will uh try to put it on twitter too for those of you who prefer to follow me on twitter anyways it's lovely and um we're gonna get started on a writing table tonight because we really didn't have any other topics in mind and we were talking about pairings in the mcu and that shit Guys, that's kind of difficult. You know, if you're realistic about your expectations in these characters and what they've gone through, it's difficult to make them want to bone anybody. I'm surprised they're not all functionally impotent. Yeah, it's not the truth. Because they've gone through some fucked up shit. But I was telling her that there's a lot of chemistry between Steve and Tony, the actors. Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. have some excellent chemistry on screen. And it translates really well into um, a relationship. Um, But at the same time, 
Bruce and Tony have this intellectual thing going on and this synergy, you know, they had this mental synergy and I'm not sure how that translates into a physical relationship. But then on the other side, I have, I don't see Bucky, but what we've seen of Bucky isn't enough. We will, we don't have enough Bucky Barnes. We have a lot of winter soldier, comparatively speaking, than we do Bucky Barnes. Um, he comes and goes pretty fast in Captain America. Uh, we only see a glimpse of him, really, in um, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, and I haven't watched Infinity, I mean, uh, Civil War. I'm not gonna. Um, but I do feel like we know we have a better grip on Winter Soldier than we do Cap- um, Bucky Barnes. And I just don't see him having chemistry with anybody. Yeah, it's, I think, I think it's, it's 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 rough. It's rough. I, I we talked about that. I've read a few stories where I thought eventually he had the chemistry worked out with um, Tony Stark. Uh, Tony Stark is a little bit the fandom bicycle in um, the MCU. He's the easiest to pair with um, a wide variety of people, um, but it's still to me a little bit of a stretch. And the stories I found where it worked well, the author really worked for it. Like, we're talking a long haul to make the relationship. It's always a slow burn, slow progression, friends to lovers kind of thing when I find it plausible. Um, but it's not um, – hmm. it's just, just – I, I just don't see kind of – I also don't see instant chemistry between them. Uh, Bucky, I would probably – either pair with an OC or bring in a character from another fandom to pair with him. Not someone in the MCU. Unless maybe it was somebody in, um, hmm, maybe in um, Wakanda, but I'd have to put a lot of thought to it to kind of work through the options and see how that felt. So, but I think, you know, that's actually... Just on that pure hotness factor, I got a really beautiful mental image just now when you said Wakanda, but... That's just my Mbaku obsession coming up. I'll I'll get over it in a minute. Yeah. No, I won't. <laughs> no, you, no, you won't. No, no, you won't. won't. No, I won't. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I mean I think there's if you're looking for if I were looking for somebody in in the MCU and not creating an OC or bringing in somebody from an outside fandom, um, I would probably have it him get into a relationship while he was in Wakanda with somebody. Um, but it, it's just, it, he, I don't find him to be a good, a good fit f- to me. Um, it, and it's not just um, the actor chemistry on screen. Cause I do, we also talked a little bit about this, but the chemistry between um, Bucky and Steve is very, it's very fraternal. And um, to me, it was. So while I have read a couple of Bucky Tony stories that I thought were really good um, and I enjoyed reading them, it's, it's a little bit more of a stretch for me to try to make that chemistry myself because I don't, I, I see their chemistry as being more brotherly. Um, well, that was a strange notification that I just missed. Um, I do think that um, it is, I do see it as more brotherly than um, I actually want to because they're both beautiful and it would be hot. But, um, and I'm not apologizing for that. Uh, But 
And I do think, honestly, that Bucky is the love of Steve's life. I just, I have a hard time seeing it as anything but platonic. And um, maybe I just need more screen time with them. I don't know. But um, I don't want to watch Civil War because it may make me hate them. So, uh, yeah. And also, I think one of the things about about Bucky that is a difficult thing in, in putting them together for me, I think realistically, Bucky doesn't really have, they have a very, their, their experiences have diverged dramatically. And I think in being putting the two of them into in a relationship, there's an inherent pressure on Bucky to be what Steve remembers. Even if Steve doesn't put that pressure on him himself, I think there's this expectation there that would feel oppressive to me if I were in Bucky's shoes. So um, from a mental health perspective, it's difficult for me personally to pair Bucky and Steve. I'm left wondering how much of Bucky Barnes is left. I think there's some, but... I think the memories really have the are ultimately to there. No, I think the, I think the memories are ultimately there. But he's got many, many decades of life experience on those memories that Steve doesn't have. Steve is stuck in "I lost you a month ago," and before that, we were best friends. You know, trying to bring down the Nazis together. That's where Steve is in his head. Um, whereas Bucky has had decades of being tortured and. Um, and and being used as a as a killing machine, on top of he has more life experience as the Winter Soldier than he had as Bucky Barnes, and I think that just that would put such a um, it, it, we've talked about imbalance in relationships, and it's gonna be very difficult to 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 sort that out. Um, But also, that's a big one for me. I can write Steve Rogers as gay or bisexual, but Bucky Barnes is straight. He's super straight. He's like all up in the pussy. I I, I can't get that image of him out of my head in in the first movie where he has not one but two girls. I could I could see I him as bisexual. I don't have a problem with that because I don't think anybody in in the military in the forties is going to be anything but, you know, aggressively openly straight. But yeah. um no, I would never be fucky with Darcy. I don't I think Darcy have, deserves a, that much angst. I mean, I, I yeah. like to pair her with Bruce just for my own amusement and I like to read that. But um honestly, if I'm gonna pair Darcy with um I like Darcy. I like Darcy as a character. I like Darcy more than Jane, to be perfectly honest. Um, yeah, definitely. Jane was really flat and boring to me. So I actually, I don't have any problem um, reading Darcy with Thor, except for I do have a basic issue with any of the Asgardians in a relationship with somebody who hasn't got some good path to immortality. Otherwise, it just seals depressing um, I think that they you... all actually have a good path to immortality since um, there's a golden apple tree and the golden apple tree is to, is to get to immortality 
or not immortality, but, yeah. but a long life. So yeah, I mean, you could they could sort it out. Um, it's just I I, I read the stories I run across they don't they don't sort that out. I read a fic once where Loki was in his own way trying to get in his brother's good graces, so he captured all the Avengers and fed them golden apples. Thor could keep his friends. <laughs> Like not not a good idea. <laughs> this, this is oh look what you did. <laughs> well, that's, I've never I haven't run across that, but it it um yeah that's yeah dark dark read the same one. He stole the apples and um, fed them to the Avengers. There's actually a little Easter egg in my story that um I'm not sure if I put it up or not with with your heart on your sleeve. I think it might be on EAD. I don't know. I don't remember, maybe, um, where Thor has brought apple juice from Asgard, um, and it's made with golden apples. <laughs> and he, it didn't even really cross his mind what he what he did because all the Asgardians drink this apple juice, and it would make him it would make all the Avengers heal up and feel better. And you know, Thor's just being Thor, and but Bruce will eventually figure out that he's given them. Um, a little dose of longevity. A big dose of longevity. <laughs> so. Yeah, I got, I got to read, I got to read these stories. I haven't run across any of these. It is on part of, part of this because there's a lot of Marvel fic out there. I think I want to say it's like a quarter of a million on AO3 or something like that. Not all of it's Avengers, but you know that's a lot of stories to try to find something in. And even though AO3 has some powerful filters, um, and it, it still can be hours and hours of waiting through things that somebody else got on a reckless somewhere. You know, it's just it's it's difficult to 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 wade through the sheer amount that is present. Um, somebody asked up above if we see any of the, uh, I guess, I'm assuming the MCU characters as gender bent. Um, it's not my, it's not my, um, it's not most certainly, a, I would, would you call it a trope? Or more of a genre? It's more of a genre. I don't know. Is that, um, well, what uh, do you mean by gender bending? Because I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. If you mean you're like a rule sixty three, always a girl. But Loki is gender fluid in mythology, but not in the MCU. I mean, he's literally gender fluid in that he can turn into a woman. <laughs> oh, I mean like Tony. Um, well, rule sixty three is rule a genre 63. or a trope. It, it isn't. It isn't my. Um, this isn't my one of my preferred genres. I read it occasionally if 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 I can see the character, um, both ways. Tony Stark is a pretty hard no for me. I've tried it a few times. Every I time agree. I just yeah. kind of nope, nope, nope right out. Uh, I don't find it plausible that the characters would be remotely similar, and I usually read them being exactly the same. So and I, I know the there is a Tony, girl Tony in the alternate universe. The with this in one of the alternate universes of the Marvel. Um, and she's actually married to Captain America, uh, apparently in the comics. Um, but 
I can't see Tony as anything but Tony. And I really honestly can't see Tony Stark as anybody but Robert Downey Jr. And I'm going to be that little old lady in the retirement home pissed off about the remake of Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're <laughs> never going to get anybody. <laughs> but on the other hand, that's actually probably when, you know, when they do the reboot of the Avengers in 20 years or whatever, that's probably when, because Robert Downey Jr. so inhabited the role, they're not going to find another guy to fill those shoes. That's when they should have reimagined the role and, and probably put um, the female Tony Stark in. Um, although in 20 years, they will be a lot more progressive than that and, and we'll have, you know, gender fluid characters or, or whatever. But I, I don't, um, if I could gender, if I could rule 63, any character in the MCU, um, it would be Bruce Banner. Because I would love to ride a She-Hulk and, um, there is a She-Hulk actually, um, She's Bruce's cousin, right? I think. Um, but I would totally rule sixty three Bruce Banner. I wouldn't. I don't mess with my unicorns. But um I know, I know who I your probably, unicorn. I I'd probably just do Loki. Um just just go with mythology and have it be Loki. Um or to pick somebody else. Like I say, it's not my it's not really not my one of my preferred genre genres. So I always try it. I always try to stretch myself as a reader. And sometimes, you know, I try as a writer uh, to try to read genres that are a little bit outside my comfort zone or whatever. But it becomes a matter of characterization with when it comes to um, that kind of thing for me. And I haven't, and I, it could be there, but I haven't read it yet. Please don't send me Rex. I've got a very long reading list already. Um it could be that I haven't found it yet, but that what happens is I read stories with, like, you know, Rule 63 Tony Stark, and it is exactly like Tony in the movies. And I just it, – it, it hits a sour note for characterization for me, and so I, I just can't get there. But I do read some other some other characters. I, I'll read Rule Sixty Three, um, and I've tried writing it a few times. So uh, I try to stay open minded and just keep pushing myself. But a lot of times it just doesn't quite gel. Especially if the more I'm attached to a character with the way they are, if um, and it's not just a matter of Rule Sixty Three. There's a lot of AUs that take the characters too far away from the way I like them. So. Um, but because of the Asgardian thing, and and, and um, I think you could actually probably rule sixty three either Thor too. I don't have a problem with the female Thor. I'm sitting here pondering it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not having any issues with that at all. Um, There's actually a female Thor dim- in the comics as well. Okay. No, so that, but in the MCU, that would I I could see I could see that. Um, I don't think of anybody else. Um, I'm trying to think through the different franchises. I'm sitting here pondering like a spider girl kind of thing and trying to think of how I feel about that. I'm not mad at it. 
picture who I would do a female Bruce Banner with. If I were to do a female Bruce, I think I'd totally have, totally do Tony Stark. No, I mean the actress. Oh, who you would cast? Who you would cast? I'm fan casting over here. I'm fan casting, trying to figure out who I would have be the female Bruce Banner. And I'm kind of leaning toward Rachel Wise. Really? Kinda. Or Trisha Heffler. Like her too. Yeah, that's who. I, that's who I cast as my female Tony Denozo is um, Trisha. She's hot. She's hot. She is. She's beautiful. But she's very. She's very tall. She's very strong. Um, I don't know. There's something about Rachel Wise that, that um, speaks to the same vulnerability that um, I think that makes that is what makes um, Mark Ruffalo so. Um, So good in in the role. I think Ed Norton was missing that he didn't have the vulnerability. Um, well, he was so flat. It's like ugh. yes. Um, Ed Norton's very in love with being himself, and that comes through on the screen. Um, but um, there's a there's a something about the quality of, of Mark's performance as, as Bruce Banner that is, that is, um, um, vulnerable and, um, nervous and, um, it's like he, he really in understands the, the power that lurks under his skin and he fears it. And um, the actor does a very good job of portraying that. And there's a there's a vulnerability there that I would want to see in a female Hulk. I think someone like uh, Trisha, who is beautiful and strong and very empowering to look at, um, I don't I don't see that vulnerability. Cause she, but someone like Rachel Wise, who there's something about the quality of her face, and you know maybe it's the delicacy of her face um, that she. She pulls off vulnerable very well. Vulnerable but strong. You know, I'm going to get through this. It's going to suck, but I'm going to do it. Whereas Trisha, well, I'm going to get through this, and I'm going to do it by kicking you in the face. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, for me, I think I'd go someone a little quirkier than Rachel. She's a little too. I think it's. I think it is that delicacy that I find actually would be for me a little off-putting. Um, I think I actually like the, the 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 difference in it because here's this delicate female and her alter ego is <laughs> this ginormous <laughs> rage machine. It's really nice. I really like it. Although I read a really awesome fic where Darcy um, became She-Hulk because she got exposed to Bruce Banner's blood in an accident at S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, Or maybe it wasn't. No, no. Ross pulled her in off the street and injected her with some kind of formula based on on, on Bruce Banner's blood. And by the time the Avengers got to her, it was too late. 
And I don't know why he did it. I don't remember why. Darcy'd be an interesting Hulk. She'd be a... Uh, I did give her a little I bit of Hulk. Yeah, in a little short I wrote. There's a one... It's She-Hulk something. It's on AO3. She-Hulk playlist? I don't remember. <clears throat> I think I'll look it up. So who would you rule 63 then? If not your unicorn. If not Bruce? Um... It- it is called She-Hulk Lewis, a playlist by Pristine Ungift. I'm going to link it. And pin it to those of you who come back to it later. I mean, I don't know that I... It's, it's not It's not something I think I would seek out. I, I don't have a problem with Thor. Thor. I'm actually finding the idea of Thor intriguing. I hadn't read any of the comics where Thor was female. I'm finding that idea uh, really intriguing. Um, I kind of even got a whole visual in my head going on with it, um, and I'm kind of interested. I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of of like a Peter Parker um, being female. So that could be. Um, that could be interesting. I think that's what I would do if I if I if I were picking. One or two, I think those are the ones that I would. And somebody found something. Oh, the playlist in in um. Yeah, I mean it's cute. I mean it's not cute that she gets kidnapped and you know turned into the Hulk against her will, but it's cute too. <laughs> Bruce becomes her mentor. <laughs> Um, if anybody ever, if anybody finds the uh, Golden Apple stories, um, just post them in the chat. Oh, I missed some stuff. What else did I miss? <laughs> I was off looking for, actually, I was off looking at pictures of Rachel Vice to see if any of them looked to me like I could go, that's Bruce. Nothing quite ever gelled. But, um, okay, I'm trying to see what all I missed in the chat room. Yeah, I think there's, there's, yeah, I know that there has been probably for the, in Marvel, the majority of the characters have been female in some version. So we're not talking about revisiting something that's, revisiting a comic. We're talking about, would you gender bend? How would you gender bend a character in the MCU? And so the comics aren't, have, not a ton of relevance on what's going on in the MCU, or it wouldn't also wouldn't have any relevance in any choices I would make in in that particular regard. Um, I'd make Natasha a man if it wouldn't make her actions even more abusive. Because if you make her a man, then you got to put all that ingress- that aggression into it too. Because men are naturally a little bit more aggressive than women, especially in her circumstances. 
Yeah. Just imagine a male black widow. Yeah. I mean, I think you probably could rule sixty five. Right, it's kind of like Loki. Really... <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't see. I just don't see the point. I think the MCU really did a disservice to Clint because he really wasn't anything. You know, um, they kind of tried to throw tack on some, some some backstory for him in Age of Ultron, but it didn't really resonate as being remotely plausible. Um, I mean, when did he find time to get her knocked up with all the missions Shield was sending her on him on? So I, I think it'd be fairly easy to 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 rule sixty three Clint, but it's just he was such a he wasn't really anything to me in the movies, which was sad because he was one of my favorite Avengers from the comics. Um, that he was so um, underutilized in the movies was a, kind of a disappointment. So to me, there's just not much there to work with from a characterization perspective. Um, and so from that perspective, it's, it would be easy to, to work with him because there's not much there. But I don't know. It just – other than with Colson. Now, I ha- before, before we got the um, – er, between Thor and around the time Avengers was out, there was a ton of Phil Colson stories, and I read a bunch of them, and they were great. Um, we just don't. They just. I, I feel like that even that ship a lot has fizzled in in more recent works. I could just be missing them. Um, yeah, that was that really was the issue. Um, Dark Seraphina said that he was the fandom bicycle after the first Avengers movie and after Age of Ultron, it stopped. Um, and then they never really did anything with him that was remotely interesting, or rather, it was actually outright offensive in the rest of the franchise. So. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that's the that that's the one. Um, Operation Applesauce uh, Silver Rush is the one where Loki kidnaps the Avengers and force feeds them on um, golden apples for two reasons: one, because it would make Thor sad if they died, and two, because he found messing with them stress relief. Loki, Loki, Loki. You should think these things out. Think things through. I guess I didn't think that through. You know, that could be interesting. Rule 63, Phil Coulson, that could be interesting. I don't, I, I, my brain does a hard trip over itself on Rule 63 Nick Fury. I mean, it was a hard trip. Somebody mentioned that up above. Um, my it was like it was like a ground to a halt and stopped working for it was, it was a, basically a blue screen. I mean, I guess. No, I'm sorry, my brain just can't wrap itself around that. But I'm 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 intrigued by the idea of Phil. So. Where are you on the Phil Phil Fury thing? Um. No on Fury because I really don't want to see a woman in that in that role as a, manip- a manipulative piece of shit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, we don't need more women in the franchise who are terrible. We've, we've got enough of that. We don't need another one. Um, Phil is a woman. I mean, isn't that basically Melinda May? 
Now, someone did ask me once. This was mm, this was when I was still watching Agents of the Shield, so it had to be several years ago. If I would rule sixty three Melinda May, and I just kind of gave them this. I mean, I gave them this look. And I was like, "What are you talking about? Take one of the best no. women in the franchise and turn her into a man? No, I wouldn't do that." I but, mean, you could, but that is hardly the point. My favorite, uh, my favorite icon for a while was uh, a picture of her, and um, and it said, "Death had a, a, a near Melinda May experience." <laughs> Although I do think if Clint Barton was female. That when he she was sent on that mission to kill Black Widow, she would have done it. Uh, yes, yes, I agree. She would not have been recruiting Black Widow to to the job. She would have been killing her as instructed. Because Natasha wouldn't There's be able also... to manipulate another woman. Yeah, true. Yeah. But the other thing with Melinda May, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Um, rule 63 Melinda May. Also, because Ming-Na Wen played Mulan, and we cannot rule 63 Mulan. That's just not okay. Exactly. There. These are the rules that I have just made up. <laughs> and then there was light. <laughs> the rules of the universe right there. Boom. Um, okay, so if anybody else has questions, toss them out in the um, in the chat room, please. Otherwise, I'll go off on a rant about the inadvisability of choosing your pairing just strictly to be different. Or, you know, honestly, I'll just prefer you pick them because they're hot. Yeah, hot, you know, but I do see there I do see people picking pairings just to be different or just to be original or whatever. And it's like, what the fuck? Um if it And then and then honestly, sometimes I swear not putting any effort into making it work. Um just because you put them into bed together um doesn't mean it's working. <laughs> So, but this is this like there's like a epidemic of of originality for originality's sake in fandom, and I kind of get where it comes from, why people do it, but originality is not a virtue on its own. So, um, sometimes you wind up with things that don't make sense, characters that have no chemistry, and all you can then wind up saying about it was, "Hey, it was original." It's like, okay. Okay. What kind of question? Well, we're waiting for that one. When you're creating those series, do you cast them in advance or after you create the character? It's it's kind of for me. It's kind of a mid process thing. I usually um, conceive of the kind of character I need, so they're at least partially. Um, I have at least a partial character profile, and then I go cast them, and then I and, the, and for, the, the, that casting then often informs the rest of my decisions. So I'll like look at videos of the person and and think about how they speak, and you know try to get get it in my head. Um, 
it's rare that I pick an actor and then build an OC around them. I, I actually am not sure I've ever done that. No, me neither. Usually I have a name, an age, and a basic description before I go hunting for an actor for just, you know, my personal casting for original characters. Yeah, so like when I was casting the 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 mom for um um <laughs> uh the shepherd the shepherd brother's mom. Um I actually I went to Cinna. I said I need a woman who's got a strong jaw, green eyes, um brown hair, um in her 40s. Beautiful, but it looks assertive. And I gave her all these, you know, this is what I want. And because I wasn't finding anybody who quite met the, um, um, what I needed. And she's the one who came back with an actress from a soap opera. And then I went and um, did some research. Um, I think her last name is pronounced Gagnier or something. Um, Yeah, Holly Gagnier. And, um, so that was how I I had conceived the character before I um, went hunting for. Yeah, I think I think I told her she's strong jaw, strong chin, strong featured in general, green eyes, brown hair, and Sin is the one who came back with the actor actress for me. Because I, I had already build the character about how I what I need them for is how I build the character. Um, yeah. And in, in the case of um, their mom, I um, had already mentioned that John and Matt and, and Alex all had her eyes. So I needed her to have green eyes. Although that's one of those things you can touch up and make it be different, but they, can she up an actress with green eyes? And I was like, okay, there we go. Which is honestly, you know, a really good thing because green eyes are actually kind of rare. Yeah, they really are. Um, so getting natural looking green eyes, even with, with Photoshop, is difficult. You can do the kind of Harry Potter green pretty easily, but a natural looking green, especially a green that looks like it could be the same one Jensen Ackles or Michael Weatherly has, uh, that's it's a little bit of a touch, difficult thing to do. So, um but yeah, I usually know exactly what I need the character for. I have at least some basic information about them. And sometimes I'll cast them and sometimes I sometimes the character is is out and in the story before and I don't actually go to try to find an this I did find to be a mistake. As I don't go try to find an actor until I am doing the cast page. And then it's like, mother I can't find anybody who looks like the guy I described. Um, with like when I wrote um, Fall for You um, I did cast uh, because I wrote it on Rough Trade so I cast my original characters for that for the just for the Rough Trade because of the casting tab and all that but for the most part I don't um, casting 
my characters with actual pictures of actors is a relatively new thing for me. Like I say, I say in the last decade, when I first started writing it, it never crossed my mind to do that. I created characters wholesale from the bottom up with, with no actors in mind. Um, so most of my commercial fiction, when I wrote The Mermaid, The Merman, it will come out soon, I hope. Um, the cover is up on MeWe and on Facebook. Um, I had no actor in mind for my main character, Henry. It just, I mean, I just didn't pick anybody. I just, I had my character in my head. What do you look like? What do you sound like? What do you move like? And I didn't cast a character for him. I can not deny that Jason Momoa fi- figured prominently in the whole merman thing, but I didn't use his description when I wrote the book. (laughs) So, um, but I'm more likely to fan cast for fandom than I am in original, because this is not something I could actually share with anybody anyway uh, for, for professional projects, because you make money on those. Um, So I, I, I do I have a couple of original projects in, in, and I fan cast them not because I'm even trying to describe them over much, but because trying to describe an actor or something. And in a few cases, in actually like several cases, I, I've picked people. I don't have any idea who they are. I didn't pick big celebrities, but it's just so that I can keep my descriptions consistent, even though I've got it written down. There's something about for me by having that visual of describing somebody, um, that just helps me personally, but I would never share that with anyone. Right. Cause that's um, but for professional fan, but, work, but yeah, but for fan pick, I, yeah, I, I almost always fan cast my OCs um, because it helps also to give the, the readers something to visualize. So, um, and it helps to, you know, convey your vision and blah, 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 blah. But, but when it comes to original Vic. You can fan you, know, you can fan cast your characters, but be careful about sharing that because it does um, have your your original work can have commercial value and you can get in trouble. So just be careful with that. Um, and if you, if you do do it, don't don't share it anywhere. It's just not it's just not a good idea. So somebody asked up above, and I copied the question when I saw it, but I didn't copy who asked it. So I'm just going to go with the question, and if whoever asked this has follow-up questions, sorry, I didn't capture who asked it. But when it comes to characters' names, do you go up with the name first or, or develop the character and then name them? Um, I named the character first, and the rest of the question was that they usually do the latter, their traits informing the type of name they need to work with. Um, I used to get really wrapped around the axle with naming, trying to find the perfect name that means something contextually to my story or whatever. Um, and sometimes that can be actually a good thing. Like if you're doing something with a prophetic element to it, like in a fantasy or something, um, you might have a character named Alexander, right? If they're in like this hero role or something, or some, some kind of name that has some sort of meaning if they're like fulfilling a prophecy. I could kind of see that. But in general, most of us are not named with where we're going to be in life in any fashion of a factor. Our parents may be imposing wishes on us at, at, at most. Some parents never look at the meaning of names. But I promise you, 
that if, you know, my mother knew the way I would be at, you know, 46, she would have given me a completely different name than the name I was <laughs> given at birth. Um, so anybody, the, the few people who know my real name will find that amusing because it's profoundly true. Um, and I, even my, my fandom name, you know, Jillian is um, child of the gods is what that means. Uh, no, that, that has like no bearing. Right. So names rarely match up to personality traits. And when they do, it really strikes us, you know, well, that name is just, that's you, that's you all over kind of thing. Um, so if you look for every name you create for an original character to have meaning and to be perfect, be perfect for that person and that their role in the story, you're just setting yourself up for, this is just my opinion, but you're setting yourself up for a world of hurt because that is a really difficult thing to do. I got really, um, like I said, I've, I've done this, did this in the past, trying to find the perfect name meaning. Um, and sometimes I even named characters things I didn't like because the meaning was perfect. And I'm like, but I hate that name, but I'm going with it anyway. Um, I use name generators. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was like, click, 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 so I find something that works, I write down. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, it is I, rare I will go with this. That kind of time in, in, in naming something or someone. Dark Knights did bring up something that I do look at. When I am doing name generators, I will pick a region that that person, a region, a, a region or I will look yeah. at like most common, most common surnames, the top 100 surnames and in England, you can get that kind of information in a Google search, right? Um, you can look up what the top, you know, 100 girls' names were in 1950 for your character named, born in 1950. Right. That That's not the same thing as trying to find a, care, a name that's perfect meaning. A name that is demographically correct for your character is not the same thing as getting wrapped around the axle on trying to find, you know, the name that means protector of man. Um so that's the John? No, it's Alexander. Oh, well, there you go. Um, I think, or defender, just defender of man. Um, but uh, the reason I, the reason I knew off the top of my head is because um, I used to be big in, I read a ton in Buffy, and um, Xander Harris's name was significant in prophecies and a lot of stories, and his name, and his name is Alexander, you know. Um, and oh, I guess from God and John. Yeah. God, that's, so, that's um, arrogant. That's some arrogant shit right there. <laughs> um, some fandoms I could see, you know, like in the Harry Potter fandom, um, they do a lot with Roman names, especially Roman emperors. Um, in Harry Potter, they seem to use a lot of quirkier names. So I could see you putting some more effort in that regard there. But getting your, your name right for your universe or your um, the demographics of your character isn't the same thing as poring over name meanings. And that's where I've gotten really tripped up in the past, and I absolutely don't do it anymore. So I tend to, with my main characters, try to settle on my names first and very quickly because names settle in your head. And not they picking do. them, not picking them your main characters' names is, is bad juju. So you want to get that those names to just sink in and become part of the identity so that you really get to know them. 
and then um, and then with your with your secondary or tertiary characters, just use a name generator. I mean, and there are name generators on behind the name where you can pick, you know, which country of origin you want these names to come from, so that you can get them geographically right without having to um, do a lot of investment in that. Um, Remus Lupin is ridiculous. Okay, it's just ridiculous. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's true. If you look at names that sometimes are are correct in the time period, they 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 maybe didn't fell out of, fell out of fashion for hundreds of years and revived recently. So, like, even if it's appropriate, you know, 400 years ago, it only has modern usage, and therefore it sounds ridiculous on your historically accurate character. Somebody in the chat room gave the example of Tiffany. Um, yeah, I would probably blink at a medieval a character in a medieval setting named Tiffany, but it may be historically accurate. So, you know, but definitely, definitely don't wait to name your characters. I mean, whatever you do, if you want to get wrapped around the axle and try to find the perfect name meaning, um, I would just, if you're trying to find meaning, I think there needs to be a reason for that character to have a, a, a name that has meaning in the story. And if there is no reason plot wise for that character's name to have significance, I think you're just wasting your time personally. Um, but don't put off naming your main characters because they're not going to sink in for you until you can, you got to get to know them. Just, if you're like me and sometimes you do things that are crazy and Freudian, um, run it by your friends to make sure you haven't done anything weird. Like, you know, I, I didn't do this, but like naming the main characters in your story, Jensen and Jared, I didn't do that, but I did something very similar. Um, so like run it by your friends. <laughs> Does this seem strange? And they'll be like, well, did you intend to do like an homage to Supernatural with this? Uh, no, that wasn't my intention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do think names are important, but you also, like Julie said, you don't want to get completely wrapped up in picking out a name that you spend more time doing that than you actually do writing. Because it really And I've done that. It becomes yeah. a crutch to avoid writing. And come on, dudes. Just write. Just write. I just pulled my there ponytail was a out. Hurt. And I dropped. I dropped my hair tie which doesn't sound like it's a big deal, except it's kind of hot in here. <laughs> I don't want to be tickled by my hair all night, all evening. So conflicted about where to end a chapter and begin another. Um, I create chapters in discrete packages. So each of my chapters has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Um, so... You need to find the end of your chapter. <laughs> I Panthers drive me nuts. I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys drive me nuts. How could you? <laughs> okay, well, there is there is a crazy school of thought out there. There are a lot of approaches to chaptering, and one of the approaches to chaptering is that you, we don't advocate it, but it exists, um, that you write your whole story and then figure out where your chapters are. 
<laughs> and it, I can't. I can't. It, oh my it, god. It's a it's a strange way to approach um chaptering to me because I think the chapter should feel like it's coming to it should have a rhythm. And when you break your chapters after the fact, you may naturally have put in a rhythm, but your rhythm may be in result in some really fragmented chapter lengths. So um, if you haven't chaptered already, what I would recommend is first read your story. This is probably the way I would approach it. Read your story. You probably have some narrative arcs. Okay, where events kind of come to a conclusion and then you move on to the next thing or a new character moves on or something happens that changes the focus. Mark those off where you see those transition moments in your story and then see how long those chapters are. If it's completely wackadoodle, like you've got a 1,000 words here and 10,000 words there, then the next thing I would do is try to look about every 5,000 words, if you're in a novel, and see where the nearest scene break is and put your chapters there. It won't be any worse rhythmically than having it be completely random. But what I would also say is please don't be that asshole who breaks your chapter in the middle of a scene. It's unless you unless your scene is like ten thousand words, and then you get that one time, you get one good cliffhanger, and you do it once. Yeah, and once. And the only time I can think of when a scene is just really justifiably that long is when you've got a really long action sequence or like a courtroom scene. Courtroom scenes can drag on. So, you know, that's where I would look for a really strategic break, like there's been a really critical drop, like you're ending on a climax of, the, of some important piece of information dropped in a trial. Break the chapter, start the next one, and finish out the scene. No, ma'am, your, your chapter is not 40,000 words. I refuse to, no, no, no. If you've 40, got at least words chapters your, there. <laughs> if forty thousand words was your was your whole was your first chapter, what I'm hearing is that it was your first novel novella. Well, it's more novel length, but no, that's not a chapter. No. Oh, it wasn't you. Oh, okay. We're, well, I didn't oh. think you. I mean, I Ellie thought was better having an alert. alert but, I mean, I was I was I was confused because Ellie was having an allergic reaction last night to trying to pants anything over five thousand <laughs> words. So I was like, "How in the world did she get to did a forty thousand word chapter?" chapter. <laughs> that is someone who's actually putting up novellas in chapter form. I mean, uh, that could be laziness. I don't know. <laughs> Fuck it. Here, I have the whole thing. And I've done that. Um, I have a fic that's probably pretty close to that. Um, 30 or 40K. And it's all one big novella. I didn't chapter it. It's not human yeah, nature. Anytime I, anytime I think I'm going to be writing less than 30K, I often will write it as a one shot. And my writing has a natural rhythm to it. So it's really easy for me to tell you where the, the narrative arcs are and break them, break it up later. Um, 
but sometimes, you know, then you get astonished and you're like, wow, that wound up being novel length and I didn't have any chapters in it. Well, now I got to fucking chapter this motherfucker and I don't want to do it. I I was I I was gonna go I was reading a story it was like it was it was ten chapters or something and it was like a hundred and thirty thousand words okay so digest that for a second and one of the author notes said something along the lines of um, this is the same story I already had posted but put in shorter chapters what yeah right I was like how long were your fucking chapters before because they're averaging thirteen thousand words right now so. I, I come on now. <laughs> they, it, you know, people don't like hearing this. I, I, especially in certain writers groups. But when they look at the most popular novels of all time, we've talked about this before. The average chapter length, they put them all into an algorithm, and they found the average chapter length for every single successful novel ever. And they find that the average chapter length is just shy of five thousand words. It's about forty-eight hundred words. Emotional Clockwork was the one that was 35K, and I did it. Was, I, I wrote it as a one shot, and I never put it in chapters. Yeah. And sometimes that happens. But sometimes a story has a really good pace, and it doesn't hurt it that you don't chapter it. But if you consider that, that successful original fiction is that, that that's why that's the rule of thumb, that's where it comes from. So people talk about the, you know, the golden rule for chapter length is 5,000 words. It comes from. That And the reason why that is useful is because it informs what readers are used to seeing. People are used to 5,000-word chapters from the time they're wee little kids. So when you give them something that is dramatically different from that, it could be good, it could be a gimmick, it could be really bad. But you need to be mindful about straying away from that. Now, it doesn't mean do the craziest thing I've ever heard of somebody doing and literally put their chapter breaks every 5,000 words. Right in the middle of scenes. That's just stupid. How do I plot a story? I write um, an external motivating timeline first, and that's all my external events. And then I go back to my timeline, and I do this on the computer so I can insert. And then I insert my um, internal motivations into my external timeline to um, to create my character arc. And then I look at these events and I determine a rough estimate of how much time I'm going to need on each point. And sometimes a single plot point is a chapter and sometimes um, I can put two plot points in a chapter depending on how they're connected. But for reference, and I was actually incredibly close on my quantum bang. Um, let me find it. So my quantum bang ended up being 110K. And I estimated between 100 and 125K based on my outline. And my outline or storyboard, as I sometimes call it, was... Hold on. I had... 135 plot points on 18 pages. And I ended up with... 
where is that whole document? There it is. I ended up with 20 chapters. So what was that? What, what did I say my plot points were? Let's see. Um, I had a 135 plot points. And 20 chapters. I do, yeah. That way, if I'm having a problem when I'm writing, I can just um, kind of make a note of the plot point that I'm that I'm having a problem with with the actual number, and then I can um, go back to it later. Yeah, my plotting is a little bit more informed by my project management past, you know, which it. It wouldn't work for like probably like almost any of me, which is I have a critical path and a timeline and <laughs> it's a lot like a project management schedule. And I have a list of events uh, that have to happen and in what order they have to happen. And then I have a list of events that um, can be moved around a little bit. Um, and so I, like, I have critical dependencies established. And uh, so it's might be a little bit different process. Um, I don't plot at the chapter level. What I do is when I sit down to work on a chapter, I decide what of my what I'm doing. And usually what I do is I look at my list of – no, I don't actually use Gantt charts. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, I did my first plotting work in Excel. so uh, I did too. I miss Excel sometimes. Um but my quantum bang, I separated into three arcs, like a three-act play. Um, and then I wrote um, plot points for each arc. And then as I was writing, I separated the plot points into chapters. So I had 20 chapters and 135 plot points. But I do give myself room in my outline to delete things. If you look at the written copy, I, I wrote, I didn't write it, I printed out my storyboard and then I wrote all over it and added timelines to it. Um, I allowed myself between 1,000 and 1,500 words per plot point as far as, like, making a guesstimate on what my plot point, what, what my timeline would look like at the end and what my word count would be. And um, after editing, I got down to, it was 110K, I think, is, uh, is my total. Yeah. At least the last version I saw was 110k. Well, 110,928. <laughs> so, yeah, it's almost 111. 111k. 111k. It was just not coming out, me and numbers. So, um, that's how I do my estimating on how much. Um, and I also know that if I am on plot point 19 and. I'm at 25 or 30K, then I've got a problem. <laughs> I have either I've gone off the rails or I've um, I've added plot points that maybe I didn't need because, you know, the creative process is very organic. Um, I can go back to it and say, okay, you know, what, what did I do here? Is this something that I need to do? Do I need to account for this later? And that way you can evolve, especially with the quantum bang when I had a deadline, I wanted to avoid... Um, What's that term you use for shit you don't need? Ballast? Mm-hmm. No. That's shit you need to keep your ba- ballast. Ballast will ballast weighs you down, keeps you from floating. 
Um, right. So ballast that that works too. I mean, it's just the shit that I really didn't need. Um, and also, there came a time when I was like, okay, I don't want to do this. So X X X, and I'm going to do this instead. So extraneous. Thank you. <clears throat> or is my? I mean, mine. I, I mentioned the the critical dependencies thing, and so what I'm doing is as I'm writing. So like, let's say I write a scene and I go, okay, I need to follow up. You know, I need to revisit this because things don't get tied up when you're writing in neat little packages. So you don't – it reads very oddly if every time you introduce a plot point, it's tied up immediately. So what I do is I make a note, you know, as I'm – I make notes as I'm writing about these are the things to follow up on later because I don't plan chapters to that degree. Some people do, but to me that's overwriting the story in my head. But so I'm also writing – yeah, I don't either. So I I do that, make that note of the things I need to follow up on. And so when I sit down to write the next chapter, I've got the list of things I need to accomplish in that chapter as well as – and then the, the next thing I do is I look at my list of follow-up items, and I decide if any, it's the right time to follow up on any of them. And then that informs what my package is for that next chapter. Now, if I come up really short or really over on the word count to for, for that group of things, and I do try to – come up with a group of things that can be done in four to 6,000 words. Um, and sometimes I blow it. And when that Very happens, um, I either try to edit or I look to see, can the last scene be split off into the next chapter? And what does that do? And what do I have to adjust to keep an, a reasonable arc if I'm splitting off a scene? So, um, and I prefer to do that as I'm writing than to do it after because I went through this with my QB where I had to restructure my chapters after the story was written and it was a nightmare because I wound up with um, having to do a significant rewrite to put these some of these scenes in different to bring them together differently because the scene you like the scene that was like the climax of the chapter now was the middle of the chapter and it just it doesn't didn't work right so I had to do like a lot of like little rewrites to get things to flow together right, and then I wound up with this 1,500 words that was just dangling out there that I needed that didn't fit anywhere. Um, so annoying. And that was my own fault because I – here's what I – I'll tell you guys what I did. I'll be straight about what happened. I conceived the story that I did around a very specific climax for the story. And that very specific climax um, involved an overt choice on one character's part um, that was going to be expressed in that moment, a very explicit choice that would be expressed right then. And that was, it was both the arc of the, um, all the external events coming together and it was the internal arc coming together right in that moment. Well, it didn't work out that that scene went down. And I knew, I knew a third of the way through the story that that scene wasn't going to go that way because I had made some choices. I should have stopped and replotted the end of the story, but I didn't. I just kept going. And what happened was the climax scene now was a little bit meh because it didn't have that overt choice happening in it. And then it wound up being more towards like two-thirds of the way through the story instead of three-quarters of the way through the story, which really makes a difference. So I wound up with this mountain of falling action. And 
I was just like, fuck me running. This is terrible. So it took me probably 40 hours of editing to fix that mistake. And you'd have to, I mean, that's a lot of editing for me. A lot of time spent editing trying to correct that. So, and you have no um, one to set blame but yourself, and that is terrible. Because yeah, it's always I great to yeah, blame really somebody else for your bullshit. But the thing is, I knew I had a problem. Um, I knew, I even could identify the problem. Um, I knew it was going to be work to fix it. It was very frustrating to have this, this, this chapter issue. The hardest part for me right now, the thing I'm struggling with now, is I wind up with an 11-chapter story, which you'd have to understand OCD to understand why that's a problem. Um, that it is, it is, it, I, I'm uncomfortable for you. Right? It's terrible. Um, and then the thing is, uh, some people tried to help me by telling me just to let it go. No. Just to let it go. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I can't let it go. Are you crazy? I have to fix it. And I think that I think that it's, um, you know, it doesn't have that moment that I originally conceived, but I think the story is better the way it is than, than what I conceived. And if I didn't think that, I wouldn't have changed that scene. So, um, yeah, so, you know, if someone's kind of bemoaning ever to you um, their, their pains and fixing an issue in their story, it's possible the worst advice you could give them is to tell them not to worry about it and just leave it the way it is. <laughs> That's very frustrating is to hear don't care. Right, because I'm not Elsa. I can't let it go. Yeah. She didn't let it go either. It was just she was just, you know. Going off and hiding Having in an ice castle is not letting it go. Which is the whole point of the movie. You can't run from your problems. <laughs> yeah. So I would say that this kind of thing happens um, probably with pantsers more than it happens with plotters where you stumble over pro- big problems in your edits. This isn't I usually don't have a cat, cat, catastrophe of, of this proportion <laughs> when I'm going to edit, but um, it was my own damn could fault because I could, could have be? stopped and fixed it. Could it be because you were also working on several different projects at once? That, that is trying possible. To, that I, you were that moving I, around my, too many. My attention. My, my attention. Well, yeah, because I once I once I got about 15K into this story, um, and this is a story that I wrote a bunch on, and then I went back and started from a different beginning. And all the stuff that I wrote never made it into the story. That tells you how far off I was. On the, like those two branches never converged. So, um, yeah. So if I, I think because I was so, my attention was so fragmented during that first 20,000 words that I wrote, I didn't stop to consider the ramifications of changing the direction the story was going, meaning that the the direction I changed it to was implicitly going to rule out the climax. So, and I knew it, but I just didn't stop to think of the ramifications of that, that that then there was not 
anything really plotted in to take its place. Um, and yet I wrote everything exactly the way I'd planned it. It's just that scene didn't have that, that moment that was that, that or everything came together. So I fixed it. I like the way it is better than what I had planned, but um, 11 There chapters, was some work involved. I mean, that's chapters. like my penance. That was my penance was I've got 11 chapters. Yeah. <laughs> Not 12. Not 10. Not 12. 11. And the other day, someone suggested me, they will just insert another chapter. And I went, <laughs> just, I can't just insert another chapter. You remember that, you know that face you get when you eat something sour? I just had that face without anything sour in my mouth. I just got pickle I face with no pickle. This is, you know, it's one thing if I'm like 500 words short and Lady Holder says go write an extra blowjob scene. That worked as advice. But I'm got I miss, I'm I'm one chapter over or one chapter under and have somebody say just write an extra chapter. I'm like, Ugh. what? <laughs> I can't just write another chapter. You could write an epilogue. No, because there's going to be a sequel, and I don't write epilogues on stories that I plan the sequel. This is true. I find it weird, especially since the sequel starts like a month later. <laughs> what am I going to epilogue to? <laughs> Could you prologue? No. No, no you did not. No. Considering no. where it starts, it starts. It, it, it has to start where it is, so... Yeah. Um, the fact, the the fact that I didn't start it right We're not there the first season. time. You're going to read it in May. Just, or whatever. Quantum Bank happens. <laughs> you're you're going to see it's it in May, June. Right? Somebody. June? Somebody no, is going to yeah. get to read it. Read it. Yeah, somebody's going to get to read it soon because they'll get it in the, in the art claims. But, yeah, it was just, it was one of those things where I was like, ugh. The beginning has to be what it is. And I'm pretty sure it needs to end where it does. And um, and and between the beginning and the end, there's 11 chapters. Well, fuck me running. <laughs> so. <laughs> Claire, that's funny as fuck. <laughs> Her <laughs> says she had a picture of reading a story which suddenly cuts to a 5K Bugs Bunny-esque rabbit chase before picking back up again with the story as if nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm so, that. And now we have 12 chapters. Someone asked earlier about having um, what you think is a small idea that turns into a big idea. Well, that doesn't actually happen to me often because I do plot. So um, I know where I'm going and I know that if I... Um, if I'm going to write um, 10 to 15K, I need 8 to 12 plot points. I give myself 8 to 12 plot points. Unless it's Harry Potter. Number of, and then right, I give the myself of, 5 plot points and I write 50K. So, you know. Right. There you go. <laughs> Of, the number of words you need per plot point goes down the longer your story is, the more you have. So um, if you've got like a thousand words, uh, that's like one thing. And may, it could be that 2,000 words is one thing. Although I think you crammed like four or five things in 3,000 words the other day. Um, and, you know, I think I did. 
but typically you're you you have all of your once you have all the words devoted to your exposition and your world building and all of that stuff you can put more plot points in for fewer words so you know if you're talking 10,000 words you 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 don't have a, a plot point per thousand words that doesn't work but what i would say also is that um I tend to know based on experience when I'm going to go too far. Like when I was when I was reading when I was writing way the hell out at Pearl, I came to a point where I was like, okay, this is my last point. I end it here, or I stop writing and I plot a novel. Yeah, and, and I, I was that like moment. teetering on that spot. I was like, okay, no, I have to stop because this is a short prompt. I, I can feel it. <laughs> I, re- I read it. I read it and I told her, I said, oh, I could feel it. If you'd gone any further, you'd still be writing this story. And I had One more line, I'd be story. needing a novel plot, yeah. Yeah. I had the next story. I had intended to go further because I really was intrigued by the, the the Hobbit prompt. And I finished it in like 2,200 words. And I went, I have to stop. If I address the ring, it's this is, not going, this is never going to end. This is not going <laughs> to be a, a one-sentence prompt. It's going to be another novel. It's going to be a novel. I can't write anymore. Um, and I couldn't so sometimes just know. Um, yeah, sometimes you just have to stop. And that only really typically happens when I'm. I do delude myself sometimes, and that's not the quite quite, quite the same thing as um, having a, not knowing how big an idea is. But um, when I'm panting these short story prompts. But I do get a sense of where if I go further, I'm going to be opening up plot points that I can't deal with in 5,000 months. So um, the last time I got really surprised by um, an idea, I knew the idea was big, um, was a Leomoto. And the story I had, everything I told in the Leomoto up through the um, – um, the ritual to to cleanse um, Tom of the of the effect of the love potions. That was all intended to be like a twenty five hundred word prologue. That whole um. that whole piece of the story. And I wrote. <laughs> I started writing, and I went, "No, I can't write this as exposition. This is like the meat of what happened. What was I thinking?" So. Um, I stopped after my, I wrote my first post, I wrote the prologue, what became the prologue, and I wrote that, and then I stopped, and I replotted, because I said I have to actually plot out all of this stuff I plan to pack into a prologue, and actually write that, because that's the part that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was just, but I've, I've done that a couple times. Um, where I thought that I could just, you know, do a quick expositional summary of a bunch of events that went down and then pick up with this idea. And then I find that it turns out the part that at least I'm really interested in is that that piece that I plan to just kind of hand wave away. And then I sit down and write a completely different story than I planned. So... But usually I'm pretty good about hearing. I, Kira does it better than I do. She's a lot more experienced at that. But usually I hear an idea and I go, okay, that's big or, yeah, that's 
there have been a couple of times when we've like talked about short story ideas we've heard, heard from people and gone, do you think you can tell that 10,000 words or 15,000 words? I'm like, I think it would take me 120. <laughs> yeah, I'm, but I'm looking at 300 myself right now. So I don't, you know, it's like, but that's something you get with experience. And I know that's terrible to hear because you want that knowledge right now. You want some magical um, fix for it, but there isn't one. Um when it comes to um, estimating your own writing, estimating your own word count, um, looking at an idea and saying, okay, I can do this with it or I can do that with it. I can make it a novel. I can make it a novella. Um, that's a 14-part series. <laughs> you don't know. I mean, it, it's like that's just something you get with experience. Just like picking out your ramifications and your repercussions of the actions your characters take and seeing that out, in, you know, ahead of you in your plot is also something you learn through experience. The more you do it, the better you will be at it. And it helps to look back at your own work with a a judicious eye and go, okay, if I look at that work with what I know now, what would I have done differently? Um, Would that story be however long it is the way I write today? Would it be longer? Would it be shorter? Um, would it have as much exposition? Would it have more? Would it have a different arc? Would it have, would I have split it up? Um, and it doesn't mean that you go change it, but it just helps to look back at what you've done in the past and use it as, and look at the, look at the project that didn't succeed too and go, okay, let's look at this one and why it didn't go for me and what didn't work about it and how do I avoid that in the past? And if you aren't willing to look back at what you've done and and learn from it, um, then you're actually not leveraging the experience you're gaining by writing. And also those of you who are moving into professional circles and you're, um, you're getting contracts and you're getting into the editing experience. I would really caution you to make the most of the time your editor gives you. Pay attention to the corrections they make and absorb that information and really pay attention to um, the structure they give your project um, through editing. Um, When an editor gives you their time, it is extremely valuable that's that's the kind of valuable experience that outside of the publishing arena you have to pay for. <laughs> so when you're getting someone um, at that level's um, time and attention for free, you need to be all in on that, and don't and don't and don't take it for granted because um, it's just it's very valuable. I know that I think that people when they when they read my quantum bang they're going to um expect a sequel you think I just don't know if there's a sequel there for me uh, i think I think people will want a sequel 
and there's a big difference between expect and want. I think they will want it, but I think that you hit on um, really good your 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 characters, all of your characters, not just your pairing, but all of the characters. There's a lot of synergy, a lot of it's a, it's it's a delightful, uh, especially the character. For me, especially the character interaction. The plot is great, but the character interaction is very dynamic. There's a lot of um, energy between them. And it makes you want to just stay immersed in that world. So wanting a sequel is not the same thing as feeling like the story isn't done. And I feel like that for the story you set out to tell, you told it. Um, and I, if there's a sequel, it's because you found another story to tell with those characters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's just I mean, my, you read that's it, my there, read on there it. are a couple of stories to be told. Um, just based on the canon that I that I delved into, um, so there are but directions the I could you, go. Oh yeah, but, there's lots of stories you could tell, but that's not the. It's the question is, is that story in you to do? Um, right. But I don't feel when it comes to the when, when you use the word expect to me that'd be like it would feel like the story you told was incomplete, and I feel like you mm-hmm. told that story. So that's why I would not read that story and expect a sequel. Okay, good. Uh, I hope they don't there's expect no, one. <laughs> there's no, inc- there's no income. There's no incompleteness there for me. Okay. Um. So. I know because you'd already told me if there was. <laughs> yes, I would have. I would have. Your beta was thorough. Said, feel- <laughs> I would have said this. This doesn't feel like it's over yet. <laughs> we need this, this, and this, and what about that? And yeah, th- uh, there'd have been a list. Um, but uh. Um, sometimes you have a sequel and sometimes you don't. I want you to know that after I said that, immediately Almond Joys have nuts and mounds don't through my head. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I had... I. I had a real I had a real conflict about almond joy and mounds because when I was a kid I didn't care for almonds. But I didn't mm-hmm. care for dark chocolate when I was a kid, which put me in a quandary. And right. the way I solved it was picking the almonds off the almond joy. Now I like almonds just fine and I like dark chocolate. So it's I have the reverse problem that I had when I was a kid. I wish mounds had almonds on them. <laughs> You don't have a problem. You just have two candy bars. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is not a problem. I said, that, I, I said that to my sister one day about eating mounds because I do prefer dark chocolate now. And I made that comment. She comes by and smashes an almond right into my mouth. So it's like, <laughs> well, that's one way of handling it, you little shit. <laughs> I think mine's a little more um, less violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just have two candies. Oh, speaking of the QB, I want to say Kira posted last night. Um, we're I'm really proud of how everybody's done. I know not everybody made the rough draft deadline. I'm proud of you, bitches, too, because I see people in the sprints. They're still working on their stories. They're still trying to pull it out. That 25 people, all and most of them are finished. There's yeah. some people. I don't mean not finished, finished, but most people ha- had hit. They said they were done. They're they're just doing edits. Um, There were a few people who were at the 80% mark, but it was very few. 
Um, and I know, like, one of the people who is, who is like, at the 80% mark or somewhere in there actually finished recently. Like, after the submission deadline, she, she finished her rough draft. Um, and there are people who are still shooting to be for the May claims. And I, I hope there are people who have just embraced the idea of taking a chill and letting it go as long as it needs to. And if they submit at the end of May, that's great. And if they don't, that's okay, too. Um, but I'm just really proud of everybody, you know. Novel length is not easy, and to pull another one out, a lot of these people did nano too. Um, I don't know. I just twenty-five people made the first twenty-five claim. That's like yeah. crazy, right? I mean, yeah. Like I said, before, this is my first quantum. This is my first bang, so I don't know how other bangs. What the output is, but twenty-five seems like a lot. Um, it, it is, I think. Um, I've seen, I have seen bangs. Not for fifty thousand words. That that's a lot of people to get in. I mean, when you think about it, that um, at a minimum, one point two million words of fic, right? At a minimum, and a lot of these stories are quite a bit longer than fifty thousand words. Because well, um, we I would, have the numbers, right? Yeah, I would. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna let you do the actual get, do the actual calculation in the spreadsheet, but I'm gonna guess that our median is probably eighty thousand. Currently, based on percentages, we have one point five million words, and that's finished and unfinished. And some of them are like eighty five percent, ninety five percent. The two longest fix currently are one hundred and ten k and one hundred and thirty one k. There's also a 94K that's finished. Um, so. so right now our average in a word submitted is 60,000 words. Um, been submitted is an average of 60,000 words over 25 people. And there's going to be more words added to that. So that's a lot of fan fiction that you guys did, a lot, a lot of writing that people just did a great job with. So, I mean – Regardless of where you are, if you didn't make the rough draft, keep plugging. You guys are doing great. I know there are a few people who were at 30,000 words, but these are people that just started writing basically in February, and they've got 30,000 words done. So um, I have a lot of faith that they're going to get it done in time, but I'm just really so, just super pleased with everyone. We have it's 25 just, it's projects, really exciting. and seven of them are 80% or above, and the rest are finished. That is crazy, you guys, guys. You guys rocked, rocked it. it. Yeah, I mean, this is a solid month of reading for everybody, so congratulations. We yeah, got all kinds of You're fandoms. Welcome. You're welcome, fandom. We do have a couple of um, some, like rare fandoms, at least they're uncommon to me, which I thought was really exciting. Um, well, it's up. It's not like everybody can't go see it. Um, it's it's a lot Harry. We got a lot more Harry Potter than I expected. Um, we have some MCU. Not, we have some Buffy and Angel. Great. We got we did we got a Buffy story at least one maybe two. Um, and then we have a couple Teen Wolf stories and um, I think MCU was maybe the third most the second most popular. 
We have an NCIS YFIVO, and then we have a Skyrim crossover with Teen Wolf. Um, and we have a Final Fantasy story and one called Devil May Care. What is Devil May Care? A video. That is a video game. Cool. Very cool. So we got three video games there, Skyrim, um, Final Fantasy, and Devil May Care. So we got three video games in there. So a nice, broad... Um, Devil May Cry, sorry. Devil May Cry. I did remember that because I, I was reading about that. Oh, earlier. my bad. So, sorry. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's a question actually in the chat room. Um, when I'm writing in Word, I try to use three stars to signify a change in POV. It turns into a backslash. That is a, 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 that's actually a um, an auto correction in Word, and you can cut that off. But, and this is a big but. Don't do that. Don't do, don't, when you're, don't get in the habit of using a demarcation to signify that you're changing POV. It's a terrible habit. Um, It used to be very common in fiction, but not anymore. Um, Publishers don't do that. They expect you to transition from one POV, um, POV to another in a scene without breaking they used to do like a, just a single blank line in some books, and then there were like stars, and then there were, and then they stopped, and then they stopped doing that entirely. It's just not something that you will see in professional work. Um, as a rule, some authors get away with it; others just head hop like a motherfucker. And yes, I'm talking to you, Nora Roberts, um, but you're not Nora Roberts, so <laughs> none of us are. Um, but so, what you should do instead of like having a mark to um, break your POV, you should transition from one POV to another in the scene without a physical indication that you've done so. There are, there are typically three elements, there are three elements um, to consider when you're considering whether or not you should have a transition, a narrative transition, which means you transition in within line to POV or whatever, um, or do you have a hard break? And those three elements are time, change in time, change in location, change in point of view. The general rule is you want two of the three in order to justify a hard break. Time, location, point of view. So just point of view is considered insufficient to justify a hard break in the narrative. Just like just a simple change in location, you should transition through that, not do a PO, not do a scene break. Two of the three, and you've justified a scene break. If you don't have it, you should figure out how to write it in your narrative. And if you've got all three, by all means, put in a fucking scene break. That actually yeah, but you do want a scene problem. break. But POV, yeah. POV breaks. If you're hoping to eventually transfer, um, translate, you know, you know, move into the professional market, a POV break is a um, is it's a it's a signature of a, of an immature writer, um, and it will um, you don't want that kind of judgment on your work from a from from somebody who's just starting to read you. If, if they're on page two and you're doing a POV break, they're going to be like, hmm. She might not be ready for publication. Yeah. I mean, if you are a, a novice writer, um, just don't wave the flag. 
Right, right. You got to put your That's best. I think you've got forward. tons of experience. Yeah. And, There's nothing and, wrong uh, with being a novice rider. It's just you don't want to create um, and facilitate bad habits in your riding. And a POV break is like a really bad habit. <laughs> no, um, you don't want a chapter break to switch a POV in the middle of a scene either. Okay. <laughs> okay, better, better. A new paragraph. Um, you definitely yes. would not want to switch POV in the middle of a paragraph. Um, sometimes what I do... Um... Go ahead, go ahead. Um, yeah. I'm curious. Don't don't do it in the middle of the, the paragraph. But you should be as long if you've got a male and a female character. The, one of the easiest ways to do it is to to switch. Well, to switch up who is make it really obvious. Male and female makes it easy because you can do he she. But when you've got two guys, don't do he he. You got to be really careful with you're dealing with two male characters or two female characters that you don't use pronouns around your POV change because it won't be obvious. That you're that you're dealing with a different character. So if character, if you've been mostly in the scene, in character, you know, let's say you've been mostly in the care in in Tony Denozo's POV, and you want to switch to Steve's point of view, it's like Tony. You could say like Tony found you know Steve's attitude really irritating, and then he says, um, "Is that how you usually behave at crime scenes?" New paragraph. Steve thought Tony was just really putting on airs because you're making it clear that Steve is the one thinking. But when you just say he, but definitely change paragraph and start, make it really clear at the start of the paragraph that you are changing point of view. But when you change point of view, general rule, don't change POV more than one time in a scene unless the scene is extremely long. And if the scene is short, you get one point of view. Because if you're hopping from one point of view back and forth in the same scene, that's called head hopping. It can be very distracting to your to your reader. And what you don't want to ever do is to distract your reader with your mechanics. Right. So uh, usually if I'm reading something and there's a POV switch, um, I expect that POV to carry for a couple pages or at least to the end of the scene. Um, if it goes on for like three paragraphs and then it switches back, I'm going to ask the author to revert it and keep one POV because there's no justification for changing point of view for three paragraphs. It just doesn't make any sense. It, it's a head hop. You've head hopped for three paragraphs, which you've done. Um, Ellie, you were like reading my mind. You don't know how much I want to brag about my quantum bang. I am so fucking proud of it. It's killing me. What about first person? Let me tell you the golden rule of first person. When you're writing first person, you get one point of view. One. One. The whole book. The whole story. There is nothing more disgusting to me than seeing an alternating point of view in first person. Except for when they label the alternating point of view in first person. No. No and fuck you. <laughs> I just can't stand it. It makes me so mad. <laughs> I, I, I don't read it. I, I've read it once. In, my, in the entirety of my life, I think I've read it twice. 
where I didn't run screaming from it twice, two times. Um, that's, and I've read a lot of first person. So it, first person is the most intimate point of view. And I, it's really hard to maintain I, to me. I, I, the only time I ever have seen the character voices maintained really well is when two separate authors are writing the two different points of view. Um, but it's just, let the, let, let the audience be intimate with that one character. If your character, if your story needs two points of view to tell it, tell it from third person. You're, that's your story sending you a message. <laughs> I know that some publishers dig it. They do the all-screening point of view. I would say that it is more in a minority thing or something you see more in self-publishing because it's just really, it's really awful. It's infuriating. You're right, Desert. It is absolutely infuriating. When I pick up a first-person book, I expect to have a very intimate experience with a single character. It, takes a, it is a rare author of talent who can insert, like Elizabeth Peters is an excellent example of that. She has for, She's a first-person narrative. Um, she often breaks the fourth wall. Um, but she also um, inserts excerpts from Amelia's son written in third person. So there, there's, there's a differentiate between, it's kind of like Amelia sneaking and reading his diary, which is terrible, terrible motherhood. Anyway, um, so it's like then you're sneaking and reading his diary too because <laughs> she's made you her accomplice <laughs> in sneaking into her son's diary, and so it works out. But that's it's, it is it takes an immense amount of talent, and yeah. she had it in spades. And God, I miss her. I didn't even know her, and I miss her. <sighs> um, so somebody said they have a really hard time picking up first person there's a couple of things that happen with a lot of first person especially people who are new to first person that makes it off-putting um so i will throw this out there um as something to consider that you might that there might be first person stuff out there that you might enjoy reading is that for one of the first things um that's an issue is what they call self-reflective statements um the character refers back to themselves too much in third person writing you don't notice that self-reflective stuff because you're using the, the point of view to establish um, who, who's speaking, right? So that self-reflective stuff in a way has to be there so you know whose point of view you're in. Um, it, it's just it's a little bit different. But in first person, everything is implicitly from the narrator's point of view. It's implicitly that everything that's being experienced, heard, seen, Everything is stuff that's known to them. Everything that they see is something that they, you know, it, there's nobody seeing anything in a first-person point of view story that could be seen by anybody but the, the person whose point of view it is, right? So what happens is people say, I saw him walk across the room. Well, duh, who else would have seen it? <laughs> what, is a better, what, what is a better statement is John walked across the room. It's assertive, it's impactful, and it lacks self-reflection because you don't need it. And what you'll see in a lot of first-person stuff of people who don't have familiarity with it is an epic amount of self-reflection. I walked into the room. I did this. I did that. And there's all this I, 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 I. And that level of self-reflection is irritating as fuck. But when first-person is written well, 
you will forget you're reading first person. It's kind of like watching a widescreen movie and the first couple of minutes that you're watching it, the black parts on the top and the bottom are really fucking annoying. And then, like, this visual thing happens with your eyeballs and you, like, totally stop seeing the bars. So when it comes to really good first-person work, about midway through chapter one, you're going to forget you're reading first person and you're not going to give a shit. So Claire gave a really good example in two sentences. Um, two long sentences with two pieces of self-reflection, and both of which are unnecessary, um, resolved in three words. And her example was, I looked at Derek. I wondered if he was feeling as sick as he looked. And the way that I would argue should be written is, Derek looks sick. And those two pieces of self-reflection um, are are what's off-putting about a lot of first-person writing. Because what you, who else would be wondering took, that? To get all that content in there, what you could say is, Derek looks sick, period. Hey, man, you feeling okay? Question mark. So you have your dialogue yeah. and you have your... So that way, your character has interacted with Derek, um, demonstrated that he looks sick, and he's worried about how he feels. Yeah, or just, um, you could even just resolve in dialogue. It's just, you know, your character's there and goes, do you look? Do you feel as awful as you look? Um, I swear you could pack luggage in those bags under your eyes. Um, I mean, there's ways they're really blind. that. You look terrible. <laughs> Should I be calling you into work? So um, that level, I mean, there there have been first-person stories I've picked up where I didn't realize they were first-person until the second or third page because that the self-reflection isn't necessary. <laughs> if they're focused outward, that reflection, when they're focused inward, it's like um, – but even you don't even really need things like I wondered this or I wondered that because, of course, they're wondering. There's no one else to wonder. It's their point of view. So self-reflection is the, the, the big devil. Now, it's, sometimes it's hard to write the story um, if you're new to first person without doing that, but it's really easy to edit that out. But also there is a fine line between too much self-reflection and zero self-reflection. Yes. Because – the whole point behind first person is that you're creating an intimate conversation, um, an intimate one-sided conversation with the reader. And so you're you're inviting the reader into your character's mind and, in, and into their thought process and into their emotions. So there is um, an innate amount of self-reflection in first person work. But this was this way. Well, you have to be really that's- stupid talented to write first person well. <laughs> yeah. So self-reflection is when your character is kind of getting off a noodling. Self-reflective is when they're mirroring their own experience in the narrative. So um, they need to, they do need to reflect because they do need to think, you know, Um, I've been, you know, if if you're writing from Styles' point of view, it'd be like, I've been head over heels for Derek for five years now, but he's just so emotionally stunted that that I, that pondering is really necessary. Um, But reflecting his experience of the world is isn't you know i watched derek walk across the room i wondered if he was you know even remotely into me um 
that's that's where it, it you're reestablishing the point of view over and over and over again, and it's not necessary. It's it's basically what it amounts to is hundreds, if not thousands, of redundancies <laughs> in a story. Yeah, and readers are very, readers are very sensitive to that because they don't need to rem- be reminded who is seeing things, who is hearing it, who is wondering it. They know it's first person point of view. Now, I actually enjoy writing in first person. I would not say I'm an expert at it, and um, I still stumble and fall over it sometimes. And so um, I like to do exercises in first person just to kind of, you know, kind of stretch myself. Um, but uh, I think that you should learn to write in first person. It's very good for your characterization, and it's excellent for your POV skills. If you have a hard time maintaining point of view, writing in first person will teach you. It certainly will. So will writing from a single character point of view, which I don't recommend. (laughs) That was very difficult. (laughs) But I did it, and I finished it eventually. Well, you wrote a – I think the issue there was length, because you've written shorter stories from a single point of view and not had an issue. Yeah. you 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 had three main characters and a very long story, and that's really hard to pull off with one point of view. I don't even know how fucking long Darkly Lowell was, but it was stupid long. I have to look it up. But Darkly Lowell is written entirely from Harry's point of view, um, and it got it got difficult, but I maintained. Um, probably one of the most popular examples, um, and, and I believe, if I remember correctly, um, that Hunger Games is first person present tense, which is something that I. 181K. There you go. But the Hunger Games is written first person, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's first person present tense. It's, it, it's, it's a scary thing. Um, so first person point of view. So if that kind of angsty story is your thing and you haven't read Hunger Games, that might be a, a good thing to do. Um, it wouldn't be as popular as it is in first person if it wasn't, if if the POV craft wasn't good, I have a really hard Twilight. Time well, so. Twilight is written in first person too. Yeah, I think that's popular for a whole different reason. But okay. But it but was Fifty Shades of Grey written in first person? I don't know. I've blocked out oh. what little excerpts I've read of that. Um, I don't remember. dialogue pick. I'm just saying. Um, I was not making I, any expectations about quality. But more like popularity of <laughs> first person work. <laughs> Sunhawk sixteen passed away. She was a um uh anime writer, right? A prolific anime writer, um on AO three. And yes, Fifty Shades of Grey apparently, Fifty Shades of Grey apparently is written in first person. So, she apparently wrote Gundam Wing. Um, Sunhawk sixteen. Um, but yeah, I read on um, Miwi um, last night that she had passed. 
Um, but, anyway, I do think there's some good examples of first-person good first-person fic out a fic and stories out there. Um, I've written one on my but, site. People found it um, discomforting because apparently they really didn't need that view into Rodney's head. That's okay though. <laughs> I I've I've only th- that's up. I've only have one short up that's written in first person. It probably needs some work, but um, my shorts I write okay. very quickly and then put them up. Uh, but I've written. I think I wrote my next I've, short I've, in first person. We have a new prompt. We're noodling. We do. I don't think I, I would. I write it. First I, person. I might. I could try it, but I think I think that one feels more third personish to me. But who knows? But I, in my body of work, I've written more in first person than I. I've talked about this before, though. I've written more in first person than I have in third. I wrote only first person for probably. Well, easily 15 years of my writing, I only wrote in first person. That's where I started. It was my comfort zone for a long time. Um, I do write a lot darker in first person, um, which is actually a bit of a turnoff now because I tend to take the stories in a darker darker vein when I'm writing first person. I probably need to just train myself right out of that because it's a terrible habit. I think you do. Some people... Um can go too too deep in first person. Um, it's kind of like method acting. Yeah, um, I mean, I've, I've my character my characters have gotten depressed and I've been depressed. It's been it, it's a it's a it's a thing. I wrote a first person thing with a character that committed suicide. That was like the most that was the foolish, most foolish thing I've ever done as a writer. I'm just saying. I didn't ever share it with anybody, but it was, it was, my headspace was not good for that. The challenge I was doing it for, I was like, I'm not turning this in. I'm going to depress everyone. My sister, actually, um, uh, my oldest niece wanted to read Twilight, and um, my sister had bought the books. And she um, gave them another read and decided that her um, prepubescent teen could not read them because they were kind of rapey. <laughs> well, they're um, definitely kind of stalkery. Um, yeah, and they don't – body mm. autonomy apparently isn't a thing. So, um, anyways, and she's just not ready to have that conversation. So she uh, took the books to the thrift store. Um, we're down to a, a minute. Uh, I think I'm going to go sprint. I, th- I, I think I'm going to sprint. On the Sprint channel on Just Now. Just right. Yeah, just right. Uh, hope you guys had... What fucking day is it? Is it Monday? It it's was Monday. Monday. It's you, it's you guys 18th. have a great fucking week, and we're very close to art claims, so look at the page and pet all the pretties and um, get prepared for that. Say goodnight, Jilly. Good night, everyone. Thank you.